Hey guys, it's Nathan. This is episode 54 of The Nathan Seawood Show. The Nathan Seawood Show, inspiring you to live an extraordinary life. This episode is brought to you by my friends at Unsettled. Unsettled is a 30-day co-working retreat experience for entrepreneurs, creatives, freelancers, and folks going through intentional transitions. They lead retreats in some of the most inspiring destinations in the world, Cape Town, Barcelona, Bali, just to name a few. I did uh, Medellin in Colombia with them last year, and it was everything I could have imagined. Beautiful apartment, great co-working space, incredible community, and you get to be a part of their global community that they've created, and lots of incredible local connections connections and experiences. Go to beunsettled.co slash Nathan and they're going to give you $100 off. So do yourself a favor, beunsettled.co slash Nathan and prepare for one of the best months of your life. What's up guys? How are you doing? Great to have you in. I hope you've had a fantastic week and this month we're talking all things love and connection as they pertain to living an extraordinary life. Last week, a great conversation with Monica Day, one that we talked a lot about uh, some how would you say it? Taboo subjects, some subjects that maybe people don't talk about normally, about sex, about open relationships, how to talk to your partner about sex. So if you missed that episode, I highly recommend it. Go and check it out and get yourself caught up. I want you to be having great sex in your relationship, maybe out of your relationship. Who knows? Go and check it out. See what fits for you. This week, I just moved place. I'm still in Costa Rica. I moved up the coast to a place called Playa El Coco, which is this beautiful little beachside town on the Pacific side of Costa Rica, kind of close to the Nicaragua border, actually. And yeah, I got this really cool penthouse apartment hanging out here for the next couple of months. Got some clients coming out to uh, spend some time with me. That's one thing I've really been promoting this year is having my clients fly out to these cool places and spend some time with me. So really looking forward to spending time with these guys over the next couple of weeks and going deep on their life, their business, giving them some time out of their life. Uh, You know, I take their phones off them as soon as they walk in the door. And that in itself creates a beautiful space to do some deep work. So really excited about that. Continuing on love and connection, this week a little bit of a different uh, direction with the show. As some of you might know, one of my closest friends, James Butler, uh, passed away in September last year, very suddenly, very unexpectedly. And James had just got engaged a few weeks prior to him passing away, which, you know, made the whole thing incredibly sad. And his fiancée, Leanne, and I had only just started connecting as we were uh, getting excited about you know, entering into each other's lives. And so after James's death, Leanne and I have chosen to stay close and stay connected and, you know, it helps to keep James's memory alive. And Leanne is an incredibly smart, powerful, you know, articulate woman. And the way she has gone through this horrendous experience has been so inspiring and so touching to me. I don't think there's any right way to go through this. I don't think there's a an easy way or a better way, but Regardless, I've just been so moved by how she's processed James's passing. And one of the things that she said to me was that her relationship with James was so different. You know, both very evolved people. So we're living their life and their relationships at a much higher level in a very extraordinary way. And one of the ways she wanted to honor James was to keep remembering and sharing all the different ways that their relationship was different. So I thought, why not have Leanne on the show? And uh, we can talk, of course, about James's passing and you know, how she's come through that and some of the, you know, uh, more difficult subjects uh, around that, but also about the way that they you know, went about living their relationship in a different way. You know, this is a particularly tough 
subject since James was so close with both of us. So I hope you'll listen to this and, and understand that, yeah, it's a very emotional, emotional topic for us. And, you know, again, Leanne surprised me and, and took this to a whole new level as she discussed you know, what death has done for her perspective around life and how it's given her a whole new perspective of life and love. And it's just an incredibly deep and very beautiful sentiment that Leanne has to share. So as always, I won't hold you up any longer. Enjoy this very personal conversation with the powerful Leanne so let's, let's just go back for context. So maybe a week before James passed away, where were you guys at? What was happening in your life? And- <clears throat> well, we had just signed a brand new client that was going to take us to Thailand. We were going to do their first intensive in Thailand. And um, it was the biggest contract we'd ever signed. Um, I say we because... I worked on it really hard as well. Um, but we were packing our bags and getting ready to lead the first of an entire year's worth of an amazing program intensive for a billionaire. So we were not only packing, but mentally, emotionally preparing. And it was really cool to be partnering on that with your life partner. And yeah, that's where we were. We had just like three weeks prior moved into our brand new house and life was perfect. Yeah, that's where we were. And you guys, so you said you're working together because you're a coach as well. Yeah. James is obviously a coach. And so you you had, I remember you'd partnered with him a couple of times and helped him out in some of those client intensives. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Yeah. This was kind of the next level of that. Yeah, the next like 10 levels up for sure. Mm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so you head off to Thailand. Mm-hmm. You head off to Thailand. And then the next morning when we got in Thailand, that was when he passed away. Just I led him through a meditation. You know, he was about to lead like a huge portion. The client was getting there in a couple of hours. So I led him through a meditation. We made our coffee. We wanted to do some breathing exercises in the pool and we're in this gorgeous house on top of a mountain in Koh Samui all by ourselves. And yeah. And then when he went in the pool and practiced holding his breath and he used to be a diver, right? So he loved holding his breath and testing himself. And that's when he just, I still don't quite know what happened to be honest. Um, the autopsy was kind of, didn't provide me enough information. I'm guessing he had a pulmonary embolism, but yeah, mm. he just went underwater and didn't come back up. It was five months ago. Mm-hmm. I remember um, getting the call from Mark Silverman the next day. And um, as those that know James knew him, that he was larger than life. Like you said, he was a bomb disposal expert he'd been in the navy got to the top of the navy and so it was hard to believe almost impossible to believe that he could be gone yeah he was invincible yeah invincible. yeah yeah so i just wanted to start with that um not to sort of dwell on 
what happened, but just to give us some context for our conversation. Mm-hmm. And yeah. uh, our theme this month is around love and connection. And when I thought of who I'd want to have on to talk about love and connection, you were the first person that came to mind um, because you, you two lived life and you loved in such a unique way. Mm. And you shared with me after James died that as a way to honor him, you wanted to share some of the stories and some of the different ways that he showed up and that you showed up to make your relationship extraordinary. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, really quick though. Um, how are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, it's interesting. Like I, you know, I feel a lot of emotion. Um, yeah. because I don't, uh, you know, James and I had a virtual relationship most of the time. We're messaging, video calls, chatting. Um, so in a way it's, I was going to say easy, but easy is not the right word, but it's, it's, uh, I can just pretend that I haven't heard from him in a while because I didn't, mm-hmm. wasn't physically in my life on a day-to-day basis. So I, <laughs> I just finished writing a book last week and I, I've forgotten that I'd written a dedication at the start that was um, to James. And mm-hmm. one thing he said to me, he, he said, you know, what you do for people is um, you help them be themselves only better. And so I, I'd written this, this dedication at the start of the book saying, thank you to James, you know, for inspiring me to help people become themselves only better. Mm-hmm. And this person's a tears, you know, because it's, it's, these are the moments and talking to you, these are the moments that I, it all comes up for me. Yeah. Yeah. But thank you for asking. Of course. Thank you for doing what you do. Thanks. <clears throat> so trying to figure out the best way to, to go from here. I know. <laughs> Let's start with you. So leading up to before you met James, what was your journey towards becoming a coach? Because you're 25? I just turned 26. Happy birthday. Thanks. <laughs> so for some, you know, someone that young to be in the coaching world, what had happened in your life that led you to this world? Oh, man. It goes pretty far back, actually. Mm, I um, yeah. I was 20. And... I had just, I was on my first date with a different guy who he's now one of my best friends. Um, but on our first date, he asked me casually, how's your relationship with your dad? I don't know why he asked me this question. Um, but immediately I went, Oh, not good. And I just started getting all negative and blah, 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 blah is that I don't want to say anything embarrassing. <laughs> so, idea. And, yeah. um, so he goes, wow. And I'm like, yeah, I know. And he's like, no, it must be really hard to be your dad. When was the last time you had compassion for him? And I stopped in my tracks and I thought, nobody has spoken to me that way ever. One. And two, that's exactly what's happening. And he's like, thanks for showing me that. And immediately I just started crying. And I realized I had to make a change. 
then I started getting more curious about what else can be shown to me that's not working, that I have no idea is there um, or that I'm not seeing it for what it is. And so for about four years, I threw myself into a ton of self-development work. I started looking at all the places in my life that didn't work. Um, I was doing a psychology degree at the same time. I actually found self-development to be so much more helpful than my psychology degree. But after I was done that, I also got a job at a, a naturopathic cancer clinic where a lot of the people, the patients there were confronted with their mortality. And I noticed a theme and I was working at this clinic while also doing coaching school, an amazing program. I started noticing how so many people were confronted with mortality and yet they didn't, they didn't treat it that way. They didn't treat life with the urgency that it deserved and that their life deserved and that their relationships and their passions and their everything deserved. And it just, it was a gradual buildup. And by the time I was done my coaching school, I was just so ready to provide that perspective that I had seen so many times. So... Mm, it's so interesting. So you, the first glimpse, you know, I, I remember that moment too when somebody, a coach asked me a question and I was like, oh, that feels a little bit uncomfortable. Because I think before that, you kind of think that everything's going along fine. Like I know everything there is to know. And then somebody challenges you and you're like, first of all, yeah. how very dare you ask me yeah. that question? <laughs> and second of all, ouch. And third of all, uh, I think <laughs> yeah. there's something to look at here. Yeah. Yeah. And then I love that, you know, that mm -hmm. perspective of seeing people yeah. confronting their own mortality, but not nobody living life in that way. I think in the Western world, we're very sheltered from death as well. So it makes it hard to confront it. Yeah. That was another interesting thing is that I had been coaching throughout the years leading up to getting that job just for free, just because I loved it. Didn't even really think that it could be a job. And then when I started working there, my coaching changed because my relationship to life changed and my relationship to death changed. And um, it became just not life, living life in fear of death, but living life like death is just the reality, not like it's good or bad or right or wrong, but it's the reality. And I see a lot, like, especially when I was in Thailand, you know, and having to deal with my fiance's death, the culture there is very much, okay, someone died, death happens. And that was a really interesting space to be in while being in like the worst nightmare of my life, having a perspective right next to me that was like, yeah, but this happens. So as opposed to what, how do you think we generally see it? That it's a big shock. Um, catastrophic. Yeah, catastrophic shock and all that can be there, but there was just something so... Um, Matter of fact, almost. Yeah, but also kind of peaceful. Like it was just, um, yeah, it was an interesting contrast, but I'm grateful for it. Yeah. And so how have you brought that to your own life and even with your clients, how have you, do you intentionally go into death or do you just use that as your own context? Mm. It really depends. I think that it is always there underneath. 
um, it has come up before, but it's always my Mm -hmm. underneath, like, it's just always there. It's just always there. And it's very sobering every moment that I remember it. It, I feel like it keeps me sharp every moment that I remember it because the nature of how James passed was so like, there was nothing wrong. So I, to me, it's doing my clients a service. If I treat them like the same, that they could be fine in any moment or I could be fine in any moment, but if I don't say this thing or they don't do this thing, um, yeah. Yeah, I remember reading a story. It might maybe even Rich might have been Rich's story. I can't remember, but talking about a client that had a lot of you know bad. I shouldn't say bad, but a lot of habits that weren't good for his health. You know, high stress, bad diet, and everything. And um, he had held back and sharing that fully, and 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 truly serving the guy. And two months later, mm-hmm. the guy died of a heart attack. And he remember thinking, wow, like, you know, it is our job to serve people and to remind them that mm. that is a possibility. Yeah, yeah absolutely. I'm interested what you said, like, how do we, how do we do it uh, in such a way that it's not coming from fear? Yeah. Um, because when we, that's the other thing, when you asked about how we deal with death as opposed to in, say, Thailand, we also handle it with a ton of fear. Whereas I noticed there, there's no fear. So I can say like in my coaching in some way, something to do with death or life is urgent, life is now, whatever. And fear shows up, fear, urgency, um, bad decisions, (laughs) Um, right? Spending the money you don't have, like you said, all of the reactions that we have, Um, that are fearful in response to death as a possibility. And um, I think just the most helpful way to get rid of that fear that I've noticed is just to remember that how, how human beings think is there's, there's what happened, there's fact, and then there's story, there's interpretation. And so there's fact, death, you're not getting out of it ever. And then there's the story, the interpretation that the mind goes, it's this, it's this, it's this, whatever judgment we have about death. And so I just keep coming back to this. Like I notice all of my stories and interpretations about death. And then I remember death is just death. And that's part of it. It's a part of the deal here. And that's it. If I accept that fact, Mm. okay, great. Now what? Like the, just the next thought in my mind is now what? And it becomes really simple. Yeah, one of my favorite quotes is that death is the biggest embarrassment to the ego because the ego spent its whole life, you know, thinking that everything's trying to kill you. Mm. And so death is the greatest embarrassment <laughs> to the ego. Yeah, so I think it's, it's about... That's so good. Yeah. If I think about my own experience, I probably, I, I couldn't say that I don't fear death. That would be too strong. I flip-flop between the two. There are days when I do and days when I don't. But in my most powerful moments, I'm thinking... Like you said, how can this empower me? I often think about if I died tomorrow or if I died right now, do I die with the music inside me? Have I given everything? Have I given everything that I have to give? And more and more, especially in the last year, I can say mm. yes. And, mm. But that's driven from that question, from 
from understanding and confronting that fact. Yep, 100%. Yeah. So then did you have more of that? Did, were you able to ask yourself that question even before James died or is that more present to you now? You said something very interesting to me. I, and I was thinking the same thing. You said that James's death has brought you more peace around death something along those lines and it was the same thing for me you know as hard as it has been the way in which he passed you know not not literally but the way in which he i saw him you know move through to spirit was so powerful the way he impacted people the way he looked after you the way he looked after me daniel all the all these other people was so powerful that i went oh this is not something to be scared of. This is just a, a transition. You know, this, this person is just moving from their physical body to a spiritual presence. And mm-hmm. as you know, like James is everywhere, right? Like he's a part of everything. I see him and feel him everywhere. And before that, mm-hmm. I'd never had that experience. I'd heard people say, oh, you know, they don't die. They're always around. And, and I was like, oh, okay. Whatever you need to believe. <laughs> yeah, so. sure. Yeah. Um, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, so since James died and I've experienced that over and over and over again, I'm like, huh, it's really, it's it's taken a lot of the fear away because I, I saw how powerfully he passed. Mm-hmm. Did you have something similar to that? I think um, I sometimes have that experience. I think the thing that really helps me is play and humor. Like, I remember my biomedical ethics professor, whenever he used to talk about a really gruesome circumstance in the hospital, he would make some joke or some acronym or something ridiculous that most people would, you know, like cover their children's ears for. And, and he was like, well, if you don't make the jokes, you're not going to survive. You're not going to be able to make it through the job. And to me, it, it's not like a... A coping mechanism, an avoidant coping mechanism. It's more like, yeah, you can choose to have any interpretation or any way to see it. Like, I just bring humor and play. And so, through the midst of all of the devastation and the grief and the loss, I think most of the times that I'm talking to him or where he's all around, I'm having a conversation with him, and usually it's something really funny or really light or like, see, I told you so, or whatever, like, (laughs) um, and, uh, yeah, I don't know if that fully makes sense, but yeah, it's, it's play. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I'm intrigued, you know, this is a podcast about love and connection and we're, we're sort of diving into, to death a lot and it feels kind of dark in a way, but how do you think those two are connected? Well, it's funny that you say that it's dark because that's another part of our, like, that's how we've been programmed to see it in our cultures. And, and what if it doesn't have to be dark? You know, like, I, I do think that how it is connected to love and connection for me is that, um, you know, I said to you one time, or I think you put out a question what is your purpose? Do you know your purpose? And one of the things I said was, yeah, like making relationships as easy as breathing, making love as easy as breathing. And making love as easy as breathing. Mm. Yeah. And it becomes a lot easier when we realize 
that we won't always be breathing. Mm. And how I believe that the topic of death and the topic of love and connection uh, are linked is that it's so much sweeter and so much more important and better when we're in touch with death. Mm. And um, I read a statistic somewhere that the healthiest relate, I don't know how they measured this, but um, the statistics is that um, the healthiest relationships are the ones in which both people realize that their relationship could end at any time. And when I read that on the surface again, sounds a little bit. Yeah. And you know, I read that before James died and I, I didn't really understand it at the time. I'll be honest. Um, I feel like we lived that way anyway, but afterwards I got it. Oh yeah. Um, I have no regrets and now I understand why because mm. we lived like we may not have time and that made our story so much better. It made our love so mind-blowingly like I had to pinch myself every day, you know? And um, yeah, being connected to that death is a reality makes love so much more sacred and impermanent and therefore you have the choice to make it what you want it to be or let it happen, how it unfolds. And um, it would be easy to gloss over that, that quote or that statistic. Yeah. But I, I think in the moments I've been really present to that is when I've gone, wow, this is really good right now. My parents are alive. My uncle and aunties are here. My best friends are all alive. Bar one now. Yeah. But um, this, is, this is amazing. And it's happening right now. Like it's now. And Mm. I don't want to get to the point where my parents have passed away or I've lost contact with some friends and go, Oh man, those were really good times back then. And I didn't appreciate it. It's in those moments Mm. I can go, wow, now, now is amazing. This, this may be the best time of my life. Yeah. Um, And appreciating it. That, or if it's not the best time of your life, how can you make it? Yeah. And um, to speak on non-romantic love and connection, um, I was at a rugby game this weekend and my friend was texting me and, and he was like, oh, this person is being so, like somebody was giving him a hard time about something they were fighting and he was asking me for my opinion on, on how to um, talk about it and and I remember getting so frustrated because to me, it just seemed so dramatic and unnecessary and so like, oh, and instead of being like, you're being a drama queen, I was like, okay, how, how can I be for you right now? Like, how, how do you want me to be your partner right now? Because I have no idea and I really want to be your partner. And even just saying like that simple thing, it's moments like that where whenever we think about death and making like living life, like, like it's your last day, we think of these big grand actions, like go skydiving and do all these big things. But I'm actually more interested in like those little tiny details that make up the, the intricacies of the seconds of your day and your relationships. Like what are those little things that you can do that actually, they seem little, but they, give your entire rest of your relationship or your day and um, how the argument goes, how the solution comes, all of it. It's little things like that. So that's a powerful question. You know, who, who do you need me to 
beefier right now. I can't remember how you said it, but um, mm-hmm. I remember James asking that to me a few times. And, you know, sometimes the answer is, look, just sit and listen. Yeah. Sometimes the answer is, well, tell me what I'm missing. Sometimes it's make me mm-hmm. laugh. Sometimes it's just love me. But mm-hmm. that's, you know, be one of the greatest insights I would say of this episode is don't think you have to know how to be for everybody. Ask them. Oh yeah. Yeah. That was actually one thing that James said to me. He was like, you always, you taught me that I can just ask people what they need. I never <laughs> did that before. So yes. Um, <laughs> no, <we're not. laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Mm, love and connection. So let's, let's talk about your love story a little bit more. So mm-hmm. it started in an interesting way in terms of you both being on this, this coaching course together. Tell, tell us a little bit more about that. Yeah. Um, well, that coaching program. Look, but don't touch. Yeah. That, <laughs> um, that, <sighs> that coaching program I alluded to earlier that I did after my degree, um, the first day of that program, I saw James and I was like, oh, crap, this is going to suck. And it turns out that he did the exact same thing. He saw me and he's like, wow, I have to go a whole year and I can't ask this chick out. And so the entire year, I just pushed it so far to the back of my mind. And we were so awkward around one another. Like there was an entire year where we were like every month had to be in a weekend together and he was a mentor. So he would, you know, hear my coaching. He was even grading and evaluating my coaching. And so, and always in the room. And if I was like crying or going through some other coaching conversation where I was at the brunt of it or in training or not at my best. He was there to see it. And uh, I just remember every time he opened his mouth, I fell in love with him a little more because he always said something that just hit me to the core or resonated with me or was something I had already said at some point in my life. And by the very end of the year, somebody, like I think a couple of people had made comments about that we should date or something. And we were like, Oh wow. The, that's strange. I, it's a surprise. Hey, wow. <laughs> Neither of us acknowledged it at all. And, uh, and then two days after I graduated from that program, he called me and asked me out and he said, Hey, this Saturday, can I take you hiking? And I was like, well, this Saturday is my birthday. And he was like, so can I take you hiking? <laughs> and, uh, we were inseparable ever since then. Um, but it it was really cool because you, you mentioned before you wanted to know part of who we were that made our love distinct. And, uh, it started on that first day because it was my birthday. He took me for a hike. I asked him to come to my, my friends were throwing a party for me later that night. And he said, nothing can keep me from, uh, coming to your birthday. Nothing like I will be there. And then he texted me later that night when the party was starting and he said, yeah, I can't be there. And, uh, I, I read the text and I was like, well, that's just not going to work. And I called him. (laughs) I was like, I was like, Hey, so, um, you said that you wouldn't not be at my birthday party. And he was like, yeah, well, you know, I was thinking about it. Uh, the company we're part of, I'm not really sure like what the rules are. And, I can't remember what he said. (laughs) 
and I probably said something really valid. And I said, <laughs> Oh, cool. Well, um, I date men with integrity and I just want to know, like, are you one of those guys? And he was like, I'll be there. I'm so sorry. I will Jeez. be there. <laughs> Challenge accepted. <laughs> and I was just really like, I was so tired of, of dating people who weren't of their word that I was mm. like, okay, I just want somebody who, when they say the thing, they're going to do that thing when they say they're going to do it. And, um, yeah. so at that point I was so impatient and I, I asked him kind of brutally, but anyway, he got, he got the, I, uh, <laughs> he got where I was. That's powerful. That's really powerful. Yeah. Yeah. Men do love a challenge. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, because we were a part of the same company and when we told the company, they had all these questions for us and we had been dating like a couple of days. So we were like, okay, how, how should we partner on this? How do we want to partner on this? Wow. So within a few days of us dating, it was like, we have to confront something difficult and controversial and um, that requires our partnership right away. That so was pretty big. So. Yeah. How much do you think, you know, that, that being a part of that coaching program and having that year where you couldn't date, but in a way you were learning everything about each other. So good. Yeah. How much do you think that set up your relationship? A lot. Um, mm. I think it was a huge blessing that I couldn't date him because, or that we couldn't date each other because we had to be in the same room and see each other's bullshit over and over and see each other's brilliance no hiding. over and over. Mm. And so we knew each other's bullshit and brilliance pretty intimately by the time he asked me out. And it was just, um, I don't know. I don't, mm. I, I just, I wouldn't have had it any other way. Um, how do you think that people could, uh, you know, I don't really know what apart from going in a, a year long coaching program with each other, how could people use the lesson from that? And like you say, I think the lesson is right from the start, mm. seeing the good, the bad and the ugly Oof. without say the sexual connection or the sexual contact, I should say. Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, so I don't have a hard and fast rule, but I'm just generally curious about what would happen if people were really straight about getting curious about what some of these personality aspects are before jumping into a committed relationship. Um, like I could have gone on his looks. I could have gone on the fact that like vaguely knowing he's a coach mm-hmm. and the fact that he asked me out and I could have, you know, like gone from there. But I mean, the um, reality is by the time he asked you out, you knew what you were getting. Well, I guess not in relationship, right? We're all different once we're in a relationship. I knew knew the man that I was getting that was a coach and a human being. I didn't know what kind of partner he would be. But at the same time, um, so something that I say in specifically in relationship is you create me and I create you. So how I show up creates how you show up and vice versa. So I couldn't have known who he would be in relationship because mm. he wasn't going to be in relationship with me any way that he was with anybody else quite the same because how I show up pulls a certain James out of him and how he shows up pulls a certain Leanne out of me. And um, whether we want to believe that or not. Yeah. Yeah. So, so how did it go from there as you started I dating? I couldn't have known. 
but what were some yeah. of the uh the special moments um special moments what were some of the differences you yeah. talk about that you guys had a different way of being with each other yeah well i mean there were the little things like <laughs> the fact that he could not get out of bed in the morning without making me a latte um and i said wouldn't you like me to make you coffee sometimes in the morning? And he goes, no, 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 it's in the Bible that the man makes the coffee. <laughs> and I was like, really? And he goes, Hebrews. And funny. And I was like, <laughs> yeah. Um, so, <laughs> yeah. Um, and then there were the things like anytime uh, there was a, an argument, like to me, I don't, I don't really bother talking about relationships that much about like the character of the relationship mm. unless it's talking about some like when something it's easy when it's all going well or when something's not working um and the character doesn't really matter at that point i guess but how we handled every obstacle was with such care and validation of one another's beliefs and it was always just easy we were always just willing just willing to work it out because we knew what we had. We we're just willing. Um, but there were some really, there were some really adorable moments, you know, like I feel, I feel pretty disconnected to it right now, actually. Mm. I'm going to be honest. Like I think I haven't written about the good moments in a while, but he didn't just want me to feel special and loved more loved than ever before, but he wanted women to feel more loved. Like he wanted women to know what they deserved. Like my friends, um, he, the way he spoke to them, the way that he talked about men with them and left them impacted knowing that they deserved more. That was important to me. Yeah. He had a very strong, um, connection to the feminine, didn't he? Yeah. Yeah, he did. One mm -hmm. thing you said to me as well was, uh, you guys encouraged each other to clean things up quickly. Yeah. <laughs> um, I remember we were in Saskatchewan and um, I was meeting his whole family. I didn't meet his parents and then the rest of his family. I met his parents, his grandparents, his aunt, his uncles, his cousins, like <laughs> all at one time. And uh, <laughs> so we were in Saskatchewan with a ton of his family members and there was a bit of a, a misunderstanding or um, upset between him and one of his family members. And a couple of them were like, okay, well, you know, like this is, this person's upset with you to James. And, and he was like, oh, okay, well, geez, I didn't know that I said something to upset so-and-so. And I'm like, babe, just go clean it up. And his mom was like, just clean it up. I like that. What is that? Like, yeah. And that's, I think that's, um, more to speaks to how we were even not being in touch with that. He was gonna pass away. Like we just lived like that. Even a week before he passed away, one of his friends called me and was, um, he was frustrated about something. I think he was, he was really just honestly, um, I don't want to say jealous, but I mean, I'm speaking anonymously, so whatever. But I think he was kind of jealous of James because James was just like a brilliant guy and um, had everything going for him. And he was expressing to me some frustrations 
and said that he didn't want to talk to James ever again. And I went, you have to call him right now. There is no way you're not speaking to him ever again. And he goes, nope, nope, I'm not talking to him. I'm like, one of you could die tomorrow. Quit effing around. And that day they had a call and they spoke after not speaking for months and spoke after that. And I believe they did, but maybe they didn't have time because we left for Thailand and then James passed away. So yeah, that was a moment in time where I felt like love just gets better when you're in touch with that you have potentially no time. Mm. So Yeah. It's like that, that it's an integrity thing, isn't it? That tidying up. But have you always been like that? Is that something that you've always had value in? Uh, nope. Not until I was 20 and that guy called me out that I was being a dick with my dad. <laughs> then I realized, yeah, that's when I realized, um, one, that's when I got humbled and started asking myself about who I could be. And, um, I knew that I always really cared about relationships. Like every time there was a family quarrel, I was always in there trying to make sure everyone was connected and, and, um, and figuring it out, but not with the um, audacity and unstoppability that I have now. Like now it's just, there's no excuse. There's literally no excuse. Mm. So, yeah. Yeah. I can yeah. feel it. You know, it's, now I feel very in integrity. I, of course I can, as soon as you start talking, I can sense all the places where I've got to do some cleaning up, but um, yeah, fun. It'll be fun after this. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) But also the lightness that comes with being in integrity and tidying up. I've heard it described that, you know, every time you have an incomplete with somebody somewhere in your life, it's like carrying, you carry that around like baggage. And if you've got Mm. 40 or 50 of those, it's a lot of weight to be hauling around the world. And so if we're talking about love and connection and relationship, each time you tidy up those different things and complete those relationships and find peace around them, you're so much more lighter and freer to be in relationship. Well, I think the other thing is you're just being the real you because we're so, we're, we're out of touch, I would say, with how naturally loving we are. We, we are so guarded from how much we actually really just want to love people, whether we're um, like, even with breakups, you know, I don't even say that people break up, like the relationship doesn't end, the relationship changes. It goes from being a romantic one to being whatever you create it to be after that. And um, I don't even know what I was going to say after that. I'm totally like, I just got so <laughs> caught up in that moment. That was really intense. I was like, yeah, I remember that. Okay. Um, <laughs> Um, cleaning up, uh, do more of it. (laughs) (laughs) That's the lesson. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Funny. Nailed it. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I love this. I love chatting with you about this stuff. What have you learned about yourself over the last six months? Oh my God. Apart from everything. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. Okay. I've learned, well, there are things that I've learned about myself and about life. What I've learned about life is that there are no rules. There are really no rules. Like once you see the person you love the most, 
literally collapse with no warning and then start witnessing life after that, it's like, why are we doing that? Why are you doing that? What, like, I just started questioning everything and it, it sped up this, this maturity process, I guess, where I feel like I went through a midlife crisis already. I feel like I went through like just all of these questions and I got to, yeah, there are no rules. Like don't hurt anybody. And other than that, there are no rules. And that what I learned about myself is that I would live differently if there were no rules Hmm. because by, by default, I'm a perfectionist. I'm a people pleaser. I'm somebody who procrastinates. Like those are all my default ways of being. And when, when there are no rules, all of those things don't matter. They really don't matter. Like I booked my trip to Guatemala yesterday and I'm leaving tomorrow morning. Like, you know what I mean? It's so, um, who I am when life has no rules is way better. <laughs> way more fun. <laughs> yeah. Um, what I learned about myself is that, um, well, that reminds me just quickly that about yeah. how James talked about war and coming back from war. He talked about oh, like yeah. once you've seen people being killed and everything and you've, you know, been face to face with that over and over again. Mm-hmm. Um, he, the way he described it is like, you know, the truth about life. Yeah. And you know, the truth about life and you have no fear. Like the thing that he used to talk about was that he wasn't afraid of anything anymore. There were moments where he was uncovering or unshoveling a bomb. It mm. doesn't get more scary than that. So for him, he's like, yeah, I'll call this guy and ask for his business. Like, and when I heard it through that lens, yeah, there's really nothing to be afraid of. But some other things that I learned were specifically around grieving. So how I've been grieving is living my best life. Like I spent James's birthday in Nicaragua because Mm -hmm. I wanted to be celebrating the fact that I'm alive to honor him and honor me. And so grieving has been a process for me where I could have let it close me up and make me bitter. And instead it has just opened me. Like I've consciously chosen to allow it to open me and see life for what it is and, and choose the context that I live in all the time. I could live in a context of life is dangerous. People you love, you lose, uh, heartbreak is inevitable, whatever context I could be living in. But instead I'm like, Hey, I have this moment. What am I going to do? Or, um, love is fleeting. So how are you going to love right now? Like, Oh my gosh, I hug so much tighter now. Mm. It, like I don't get off the phone with anybody without saying, I love you. I, and it's real. It's not like a habit or some thoughtless thing. I mean it. I feel awake. I feel awake. And every moment is just taken in differently. And that was a conscious choice, like consciously choosing to grieve that way and let it be a process of awakening, of celebration, of um, a different kind of connectedness with James, letting him know that I'm okay and that he doesn't have to worry about me. He's got the afterlife to worry about. Like who knows what that's like or what that requires. (laughs) So just don't worry about me. You, you do you babe. And and be with all the sadness and learn how to be a really powerful woman who asks for help. So, yeah. And before that, I didn't have really a relationship with grieving other than like from the outside. If I experienced somebody else who had gone through a loss, 
I had no facility with it at all. I had no idea how to be um, totally the unknown. How do you find it? Like, what's your relationship to grieving? Mm. I don't know. I don't know how to answer that question. I haven't thought about it. But, you know, with James, again, I, I had a lot of death in my childhood like one after the other friends and then school friends and then grandparents and went to something like 10 funerals and, you know, between the age of 10 and 16 or something. And so I remember being very, I guess, close to death, Mm. you know, at that age. And then, yeah, it's not until, you know, two years ago, one of my friends committed suicide and then, you know, James last year that Mm. it's probably opened that up again. Um, But I'm a completely different human than I was at, at 15, like we all are. Um, yeah, and the, 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 the choice for me with, with James dying was either to go, why did this happen to me? You know, we were just starting this friendship. This is the, this is the friend I always wanted, you know, the best friend I always wanted. Yeah. Um, and then it was, he was just ripped from me. Or I can look at it and go, wow, now I've got the most badass guardian angel that anybody's ever had. Like how fucking cool is that? No matter what I do now, I've got this incredible support in the afterlife looking after me. I love that. Yeah, and that's how I've chosen to look look at it, knowing that I'm always looked after, I'm always guided by this incredible human, now incredible yeah. spirit. I love that. Do you see a time when you date again or be in relationship again? Definitely. For the first couple of months, I was like, I'm done. Well, I had the guy who ruined all other men for me. Uh, (laughs) Thanks very much. (laughs) Yeah. But, and I was just comparing, oh my gosh, like I compared everyone to James, Mm. men and women. But yeah, when I thought about men, I was like, man, how will I find anyone that measures up to this guy? And um, that went away like reality sort of kicked in. And then also I had a call with Teo. So, you know, Teo and Teo said something to the effect of, um, James can't be the reason you're unhappy. He just can't. And it's, it came up that I thought I would be dishonoring James by moving on, whether that's with a man or with my career or general, like, Feels feels logical, right? Like it feels like a logical response. Yeah, like I'd be dishonoring him. Like somehow I don't love him and I should be wearing black for the year and basically <laughs> pieced out of life. And it's the opposite. That would be the most, uh, yeah, the worst way to honor James. And so I'm not looking for a relationship, but when that comes up organically, I'm going to be thinking about it from like, is this going to make me happy? Is this like, not from will James feel unloved? He Mm. knows he's loved, but if it makes me happy, then he'll want it. So it's kind of like, you know, even when I chose to go traveling, uh, like when I was in Nicaragua and when I'm, you know, going to Guatemala tomorrow morning, I could choose to stay at home and go inwards and there's nothing wrong with that. But at the same time, I just feel like it honors James so much more to do what makes me happy. Like, 
especially with the fact that he went so quickly, why would I not do things right now? Mm. Um, dating, yeah, they, though, would, they wouldn't yeah. have learned any lesson at all if you just yeah. stopped living. <laughs> exactly. But yeah, with dating, I don't know. That's funny because a bunch of my friends were kidding around like... <laughs> Um, it's going to be really like those shoes are so big to fill mm. and they were feeling very, very, uh, not excited for this man in my future. Yeah. But, <laughs> <laughs> um, but, um, yeah, well, that's, the, that's obviously the challenge. I mean, you can't, you know, that's what's there right now. Yeah. Uh, and then, yeah that'll shift as well. I'm sure. Yeah. Mm. I'm just being with it all. I have no idea what to feel about, but I do know though, trying to see it from a perspective of what's healthy and what's from survival, what's from highest self. And if I completely like close myself to dating for the purpose of it'd be dishonoring James or I shouldn't, or other people would think that's terrible or whatever. Like I don't want to not date because of those reasons. I would rather not date because that is what feels organic. And yeah, but I just, I really notice the pull. Like if I ever think about it, there's a thought that follows it. Like, Oh, what would people think? Mm. Oh my God. Like, you said to me that was that was one of the hardest things with all of this is trying to do it the right way, trying yeah, to grieve the right way. Yeah, there are so many things that I feel like. Sometimes I feel like people have a really strong opinion about it, mm. and they have an opinion about it, which maybe I should just get over it anyway. Maybe <laughs> there isn't actually a huge opinion out there, like, or it'll last five seconds. Like, maybe I should just really get over it. That would be good. Yeah. Yeah, Easy. Just, <laughs> <laughs> Job done. Stop caring what people think. Done. <laughs> there are no rules, right? There's no rules. You make yeah, the rules. There are no rules. Yeah. Yeah. And so you're doing your own coaching, right? So you're active as a coach. Who are the mm-hmm. type of people you're working with? Mm. The worst work- question ever. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for acknowledging that it's the worst question ever. Yeah. Um, I work with a lot of uh, female entrepreneurs, but I also, I, I work with, man, there are a few different niches that I like coaching. If there's like, there's not one demographic, like I just can't do that. I love working with the, the CEOs or whoever makes the most decisions in the company or runs the, the company, but if it requires two people to do that job. So a company where there are two heads of the company and their relationship needs to be rock solid. So I, I coach the relationship of the two people that the company really depend on. I love creating relationships in Mm. business settings where there's a bigger cause at stake, where that relationship is for something greater and making sure that that runs seamlessly and can expect and run smoothly with breakdowns and obstacles and conflict and um, all of the things that a business could and should expect. Yeah, that's so cool. I can really see, especially with co-founders, that's the, that's the foundation of everything is that relationship. Yeah, exactly. And 
I do believe that businesses and lots of small businesses are going to create the most movement and change. And so the well-being and relationships of the people that form those companies matter like mm. for that change to get realized out in the world. And so that's one thing. And I honestly, I love coaching people through breakups, whether it's the end of a 20-year marriage or the end of a year relationship. I, I just every single person goes through a breakup and yeah, most people refer to me as a relationship coach, but to me that includes breakups and that, you know, love and connection. I'm the first person you thought of. There can be love and connection so, so present in a breakup and 99% of the breakups that I see really did not have to go the way that they went. Mm. It's like how to create a powerful ending. Yeah. Or a powerful transition, honestly. Mm. I love that. So I love giving all my guests an opportunity just to share their gifts and, and allow people to reach out to them. So mm-hmm. if someone wants to work with you, someone wants to work with someone where there is no rules that knows the truth about life, it's an expert mm-hmm. in relationships, how do they find you? Hmm. They can find me through my website, uh, leannamanda.com. They can find me on Facebook. I love, I love honestly talking to people over Facebook. I don't know why. I think I just feel more connected to them yeah. right away. You feel quite um, organic, can it? Yeah. Leanne Amanda and my email. <laughs> That's okay. We'll list all that below. We'll list the website and yeah. Facebook and everything. People can go and find yeah. you. Mm-hmm. Um, email, Facebook. Yeah. So yeah, the last question I ask everybody is about their dark side. And you know, I guess we've kind of weaved in and out of it in a way, <laughs> but how do you look at the dark side and you know, do you have a dark side that you have to, be aware of? How do you embrace it? Like the shadow self? Yeah. I had a conversation with one of my clients about this this morning and uh, it's the same as death. It's there. It's not going anywhere. It's a fact. Everybody has a dark side and the more you accept that it's going to be there, you can be friends with it and have it work with you rather than against you. And I don't know if you've heard of the book, The Dark Side of the Light Chasers. Mm, I just started reading it. Yeah, cool. Okay, so... Um, Save me the trouble. <laughs> <laughs> I won't actually. I only read like the first couple of chapters and I was like, I got it. Got and it. I put it down. <laughs> but um, basically, we are like a house. We have all of these rooms with gratitude and beauty and jealousy and anger and all, all of these different rooms in the house. And then slowly as we age one by one, we close off and lock some of those doors. And we say, this room isn't open anymore. This room isn't open anymore. We can't go in this room anymore. We shouldn't see this room. And it makes you susceptible to and hookable about like what you can't be with about yourself. And so um, I think that regarding the dark side, the better you are acquainted with and accept your dark side, the more powerful you are and impervious to it. It creates an emotional resilience and unstoppable relationship with yourself when you accept your dark side. It doesn't even have to be a dark side. Like the term dark side even is Mm. interesting. Who decided that anger is bad? Who decided that jealousy is bad to me coming from an evolutionary psychology background. I'm like, all of those have a purpose. Actually, we just have been going about it in an unworkable way. So the dark side is necessary and possibly misnamed. 
And that was beautiful and a good way to escape the question. But what is your dark side? Oh, my dark side. And how do you embrace oh. it? It is oh, such a perfectionist. It is, like I said before, a perfectionist, people pleaser. Oh, like I know that um, at one point anger was a huge part of my dark mm. side. And I was so quick to rage. And it just seems like a whole other life now. But um, I remember I went to a coach about it and I asked, how do I get rid of my rage? How do I get a, how do I get a hold on this? Like I have this anger that just comes and it takes me and I have no control. And she's like, you're not interested in getting rid of your anger. You like it because it does shit for you that you want to get done. And I was like, I love my anger so much. I don't want to let go of it. And I realized like I had to get real with myself about that. I was still using my anger for a bunch of things. Like it was a perfect armor. Like it made me look so tough. Nobody would mess with me. It was the perfect system. If people knew like that side of me, I was safe. And then I realized Mm. that that's not actually conducive to the relationships that I wanted and, but I had to get real with myself that I actually liked it. I yeah. liked my rage and I liked um, the identity piece that that held. Like there was some piece of my identity that made me tough. And um, yeah, I've heard it says like if there's a part of you that you're trying to get rid of that's still hanging around, it's because it works for you. Exactly. Yeah. And it, it worked for me, but it didn't. Like I had to see all the places that it worked for me. Yeah. But then all of, all of the places where it just wasn't worth it anymore, mm. no matter how much I liked it. I just had to weigh the pros and the cons, like every single piece of my dark side, like, like I'm, I'm obsessively over analytical. That's like a dark side part of me. And that one works for me. I'm going to keep that one. Like, you know what I mean? Or pick and choose where it shows up or, the awareness is the difference mm-hmm. as always. Yeah. And yeah. like, you know how we were talking earlier about um, like lightness and play and humor and how that's something that helps me with grieving. It also helps me with my dark side, like mm. making jokes about the fact that I'm a perfectionist, like way to choose the most effective way to fail at life. Oh my God. <laughs> yeah. like, there are so many jokes that I can make about that. And it just completely like, disarms it. Exactly. Mm. Yeah. I love yeah. that. Perfectionism is a good one. Yeah. yeah. What about you? What's, what's your dark side? Oh, mine are boring. Everybody knows mine. I've talked about it a million times, but uh, oh. what is it in this moment? In this moment, it's, um, it's probably still around uh, like self-worth, you know, like I, I feel that lack of self-worth a lot. Um, it, it, you know, I, the way I experience it is, you know, I'll numb myself out with food or social media or used to be porn a lot. So yeah, I think those are all things that when I'm not feeling worthy and then I have anxiety around that and then I numb it out, that would be mm-hmm. the pattern. And so I'm very aware of that. And so, yeah, joking around about it is, is powerful for me as well because yeah, it, it's, and it becomes a familiar pattern. Yeah. I think I can say the same thing too. Like where does perfectionism come from? Well, 
you have to be perfect. Why? Yeah. Because who you are fundamentally isn't enough. Like I yeah, feel. Yeah, I want to be enough. You know, I want to be worthy. Yeah. Like I am not about to go wash off my makeup right now. <laughs> and like, no way. Like, so yeah. Yeah. Thank you for asking that though. It's nice to just bring that into the light actually. Mm. Thank you. Thank course, you for coming on. You. This has been fun. And uh, I guess I want to say thank you for being on this journey with me. You know, it's not a journey that we chose, but it's a journey that we're on together. Um, mm. And you've been the perfect partner. You too. So thank you. Thank you. I appreciate you. Appreciate you. I love you. I love you. There, folks, my uh, conversation with my good friend Leanne. I hope you enjoyed that and you could take something away from it. Although it's uh, a little bit deep and touching on some some difficult subjects, I hope it uh, gives you a slightly different perspective on life. Don't hesitate to reach out to Leanne. Look her up on her website, leanneamanda.com or on Facebook, Leanne Amanda. Thanks for tuning in. As always, I would love it if you could share this around. Give it a like. Reach out to me. Let me know what you love about the show, what you'd like to see more of, who would you like to have on the show, any interaction that lets me know you're listening and you're enjoying the show. Thanks, guys. Have an amazing week, and I'll be back next week with episode 55 of The Nathan Seward Show. That was The Nathan Seward Show, inspiring you to live an extraordinary life. This episode has been brought to you by my friends at Unsettled. Unsettled is a 30-day co-working retreat experience for entrepreneurs, creatives, freelancers, and folks going through intentional transitions. They have incredible retreats all around the world, Portugal, Bali, Colombia, Nicaragua, just to name a few. I did Medellin in Colombia last year. Blew my mind. A great bunch of people there. Lots of really cool local experiences. Beautiful office to work from. A lovely apartment. They organize it all, guys. So go to beunsettled.co slash Nathan, and I'm going to get $100 off your first trip. So do yourself a favor. Check out beunsettled.co slash Nathan and prepare for one of the best months of your life.